I'm going to read from uh, Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3, um, in looking back through the um, uh, recordings that Stephen has put on, uh, I, I, I notice I don't think this passage has actually been used in the prayer meeting, and it slightly surprised me, but uh, I hope that it'll be a blessing to you today. Ephesians 3, and I want to look at verses 20 to 21, um, but it, just scan your eye down, if you will. I hope you've got the Bible in front of you. Scan your eye down from verse 14, just uh, to put this in context. Paul says, for this reason, uh, reading from the New King James Version, uh, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you may, uh, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and breadth and height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, if he stopped there, you would think that, that was a marvellous way to end the chapter. But he, then he comes on to this incredible, this incredible doxology. Uh, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, I, 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 have, I have preached on this a number of times, and I did so again recently, and I just felt that it was so appropriate for this um, a prayer call. Um, the sermon is not yet up on sermon audio, but hopefully it will be soon. So uh, I've deliberately kept it off until <laughs> till after today. Um, but here is Paul at prayer in verses 20 and 21. He's chained to the Praetorian Guard, he, and yet he bows his knees while this pagan scoffer stands by and he prays this prayer. And I think this is amazing. And he prays, um, Ephesians 1, 1, for the saints and the faithful in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 3, 15, the whole family in heaven and earth. That's us if we're true believers. And he prays for divine power and omnipotence. But as we read this, the, these two verses at the end of the chapter, I, my immediate reaction is, Paul, you've gone too far. This is too big a prayer. How can you possibly pray a prayer like this? Surely this is absolutely impossible. But Paul would say, no, it's not. We've asked big things, but our God is well able to do it. And he is gripped by the power of God. He has faith in the Lord God of miracles. So let's just very briefly uh, give you a number of points. Firstly, there is acknowledgement. Now to him. To who? To God the Father, the organizer, the originator, the, uh, uh, the one who planned all things from eternity, the all-powerful one. And this is the one to whom Paul is praying. And as he prays, his praise flows on and on like a never-ending river, like an ever-flowing sea of praise. Prayer turns to praise. He's captivated by God and his glory and grace. He's full of the glory of the Lord. And when he comes to God the Father, it's almost as well, though words fail, he piles up metaphor upon, or analysis upon analysis. Uh, and he's overcome with the greatness of our God. He acknowledges the wonder and the glory of God. I trust that everybody on this call has acknowledged 
the claim of the Lord God upon our lives and that we are following him. It's absolute. We cannot pray this prayer or know this blessing if we do not know him as Lord and Savior. And I trust we do. Secondly, ability. Now unto him that is able to do. That is able to do. Divine ability. Our God is not an idol. He's not static. He's not just a thing. He is living and vital and real and able to meet his people and bless them in their worship and in their homes and in their work and in their witness. He's able to do all that we ask. He's able to do all that we think. He's able to do anything that even our flights of fancy might think. How, How dramatic have you thought? And you thought, well, I can't pray like that. We'll turn them into prayer. That's what Paul is encouraging us to do. He can do all things. Pile up your thoughts, your desires, your needs. You'll never exhaust heaven's mercy. And Paul's prayer, I think, well, I I speak for myself. You are probably all, all of you probably far more spiritual than I am. But I often think that Paul's prayer is far more magnificent than my praying. But God is able. Acknowledgement, ability. Thirdly, abundance. Exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Let me say four things quickly, five things quickly. Above all that we ask. Now, when we first came to Christ, pardon seems to be the most important thing, doesn't it? The greatest we could ask, that our sins could be forgiven, that God's wrath would be turned again away from us. How could we be right with him? And we asked and he showed us his love and grace far above our wildest dreams. My God, I know, I feel thee mine and will not quit my claim, wrote Charles Wesley in one of his hymns. Above all that we ask, but more, exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask, exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask, exceedingly abundant above all that we ask or think. Secondly, above our need. Now, our need is only limited by our supply. I got a glass of water before I took this. I've taken this out of the tap. I haven't exhausted the resources of the water supply by my glass of water. This is my need. But there is abundant supply of water in the tap. Above all your need. Above all your prayer. Our prayers are often limited by our desires, aren't we? James tells us, you have not because you ask not. Have we got great desires? We're coming to a king. Large petitions will us bring. Fourthly, above all our faith. So often our faith is weak and feeble, or mine is anyway. So often we maybe say this, and I've had people say this to me sometimes. I never believed that he would hear me, that he would answer. And yet he has. He's poured out his abundance Thank God that he's not bounded by our asking or our need or our prayer or our faith. But what does Paul say? It is above and beyond our understanding. Verse 18, beyond our comprehension. Now, we can't understand, can we, our trials and tribulations and and bereavements and difficulties, and life is full of them. In my first church, I had an old... Well, I had a number of old ladies, but there's one old lady who was a real saint of God. 
She was a very simple lady indeed. She hadn't got deep theology. She couldn't discuss the details of the Trinity with you or, uh, or limited atonement or any of these great theological matters. And she said to me, Pastor, she said, I cannot understand, but I know that he is in control. My friends, that's what, you, what we need, isn't it? Here are two brief quotes from Spurgeon. He, God, he never means less than he says, but always means far more than we think he says. I like that. And here's another. His power to bless is not bounded by our power to understand his blessing. That's a help as well, isn't it? Abundantly above all we ask or think. Well, a much more I could say about that. Fourthly, action. According to the power that worketh in us. Now, if you go back to Ephesians chapter one, I haven't time to read it now. But if you read verses 19 to 21, Paul describes something of the power of God. As it is evidenced in Christ. And in this great doxology in verses 16 to 19, before we come to the doxology, he expresses the same power of God for the church, for the people of God. And having done that, he comes to this great doxology. This power seen in the resurrection, this power evidenced at creation, but the power at creation is not as great as the power that God exercises when he saves men and women. Why? When God created the world, all he had to do was speak the word and it happened. When he comes to the sinner and saves the sinner, all the opposition of the devil is there. I say God's power is greater when he saves men and women. That's wonderful, isn't it? If you're a saved man, a saved woman, God has given you power greater than the power he did at creation. Wonderful. Outside of Christ, we're in rebellion to him. There is no beauty or form or comeliness that we see in him. We were opposed to him, but he came to us and he saved us and he forgave our sins and he overcame the devil. Why did he choose us? Well, I can't answer that. Tis mystery all the immortal dies. But this is the power that's at work in us. And he's preparing us for glory, to come into his immediate presence, to become his heirs. Now we are this at conversion, but he goes on to prepare a place for us in the new Jer Jerusalem. The life of God in the soul of man. Amazing. It's far beyond our understanding. It's beyond our wildest dreams. Acknowledgement, ability, abundance, action. Fifthly, adoration, verse 21. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. He deserves the glory. Firstly, in the church. Because even in heaven, the church promotes the glory of God. Did you know that? Look at what Paul says in verse 10 of this chapter. He says, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Now we get that 
in the book of Revelation uh, with the 12 elders of, the, of Revelation, the 12 patriarchs, the 12 apostles representing the whole church, Old and New Testament, praising God. It is a call to all God's true people to bring him glory and praise. And of course, many of our hymns and our psalm settings reflect that, don't they? To God be the glory. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Jesus, the name high over all and so on. Uh, that wonderful psalm setting I love of psalm, of the psalm, psalm, psalm 146 and psalm 147. You probably know some of them, I'm sure. Do you believe this? Filled with glory praising him till praise gives way to adoration and worship. Praise like a river, adoration like an overflow, the length and breadth and height and depths of praise. But it's not only in the church, it is by Christ Jesus, only through him. And he is our supreme authority and blessing. The book of Revelation, of course, is full of that. And chapter five, particularly when the book is opened and there is the lamb and John sees the lamb in the center, the lion of the tribe of Judah, but the lamb who bears all the marks of, 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 of slaughter upon him, but is alive, gloriously alive. And then it's through all ages, through all ages, through all generations. A wonderful hymn by Isaac Watts, I'm sure many of you know it. I'll praise my maker while I've breath, and when this voice is lost in death, praise shall employ my nobler powers. How wonderful. And then, amen, amen. Is that your response to this great doxology? Jerome, uh, the historian, describes the Christians in the fourth century in Rome. And he said this, nowhere else does the Amen resound so loudly like spiritual thunder and shake the temple of the idols. Back in 1978, there was an article in the Banner of Truth magazine and the writer at that time said this, he, that is Jerome, would hardly write that of many of our congregations today. Where barely a perceptible whisper or at best a slight murmur is the most that people seem to be able to mutter. How can we sing the Psalms of David or how can we read the ascriptions of praise in the New Testament without being moved? But to be moved deeply is to look for a means of expression. The biblical expression is, however, ready for use. Let David himself emphasize the point. Let all the people say, Amen. Amen, a sound like thunder. Now, friends, I'm not, telling, I'm, not, I'm not arguing that you should do this and probably it would cause problems. But there are times I confess on this prayer call when I feel like it, when it gets to the end of a prayer of clicking my mute button, so unmuting and saying amen. Now, don't do that because you'll probably cause the system to break. <laughs> but I certainly say amen here audibly and the Lord hears it even if others don't. <laughs> That's one thing I find difficult with this kind of prayer meeting, because if you're in a prayer meeting, you can hear people say, amen. <laughs> it's probably not a good idea to do it. I don't know, see what Rick and Steve say, because <laughs> we don't want to crash the system. But uh, let's pray, dear friends. Let's pray so that we can say amen, so that we can rejoice, so that we can rejoice together in God's goodness. And while it's right to pray for all these needs, and I don't want to stop you doing that, 
above everything, brethren and sisters, remember that we're praying for God's revival blessing, for God to come upon us, that this wonderful doxology be our doxology, that we can pray as Paul prays here and see in our churches and fellowships God's glory. Pray for the dear men on this call who will be preaching tomorrow. Many of us will be. Pray that God will be with us as we meet together around his word. Pray that this prayer meeting will continue to be a place of glory and blessing and encouragement to each one of us and above all, bring glory to our God.